When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I still, really right now, I still have a question mark as we now enter into week two. This is Saverin on Steelers. Hello to all in Steeler Nation. Welcome to Saverin on Steelers podcast. The Steelers coming away with a win in week one. Improbable, unforgettable, Definitely. Have we ever seen a game like that? I've been watching football for a long time. I'm quite sure you have too, Steelers or otherwise. I don't know that I've ever seen a game quite like that. Really remarkable in that regard. There are elements, both good and bad, that need to be discussed. Bad elements are easier to digest after you win, but that doesn't mean that they should be discarded and not considered. They have to be discussed. First of all, it's always easier to talk about some negative things when you win. It's much more difficult after a loss. And a lot of people thought they would be 0-1 after week one. Keep that in mind. They're 1-0. Doesn't mean that the problems they have don't need to be solved, don't need to be addressed, don't need to be rectified. But it does mean you're doing so. You're playing with house money. And if we're looking in terms of a fast start, I honestly thought that the Steelers' schedule, such as it is, the first five of the six games are very difficult. Cincinnati on the road defending AFC champions. Now New England comes to town. They had a look like a really bad loss to Miami, although they've lost a number in a row to the Dolphins. But still, it's Bill Belichick. He'll come up with stuff, uh, I'm sure, with the – a defense that will challenge uh, a Steelers offense that indeed is challenge itself. Then you got to go to Cleveland, whatever you think of them, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, they can still run the ball. The Steelers got a good start on run defense, but that was the Achilles heel last year. Then you have the Jets, okay, but then at Buffalo. Don't need to remind you how the Bills looked not only last year, but a week ago when they opened the season against the Rams. And then, of course, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. Things lighten up a little bit after that, but then again, who knows? Injuries, we'll get to that, could be a great equalizer. But with a win in game one, and I'm not one who goes and looks at the entire schedule and says, oh, there's a win, that might be a loss. There's a, You just don't know. It depends not only who you play, but when you play them. What's their injury situation? Are they coming off a loss? Are they coming off a loss, a bad one, 
that has them in a nasty mood. Are you coming off an emotional high from a big win like the Steelers will be against the Patriots? And what's your injury situation, which right now does not look very uh, very good and certainly not for the next game against the Patriots? But back to Sunday in Cincinnati. I think most of the angst and the consternation in Steeler Nation stems from the fact when you get five interceptions and seven sacks, need a blocked point after touchdown, a botched 29-year-old, a 29-yard field goal, and then have to win the game with a 55 or 53-yarder of your own, that's what leads to people being, I wouldn't say unhappy, but concerned. When the defense presents you with that kind of advantage, your offense has to be able to do something with it. And for the most part, the offense on Sunday did nothing with it. Why? Well, it always begins and sometimes ends with the offensive line. Mike Tomlin was very forthright in discussing his O-line at his press conference Tuesday before the Bengals game. And he said, no, we don't think they're going to be great Sunday for the opener. What we're hoping for is that we can have other elements of our football team enough to prop them up until they play together, they gel together, and presumably get better individually and collectively. And in essence, that's what happened. The offensive line was a liability. Now, their pass protection was not bad. And you're also benefited by the fact that Mitch Trubisky, and we'll get to him in a moment, was as mobile as he was. Frankly, the play that won the game that set up the field goal by Chris Boswell was the play where Sam Hubbard jumped offside And it wouldn't have counted. It would have been a Steelers five-yard gain at the very least. But Trubisky got out of two almost impossible situations, running to his left and throwing the ball across his body to Pat Fryermuth, who was actually supposed to be in and block and only released when he saw his quarterback in trouble. That takes him up to the 45-yard line. They get one more first down. And they kicked the field goal, which, by the way, would have been good from 60. I have no doubt about that. So in that case, Trubisky's mobility probably saved them more sacks. Officially, the Bengals got one. Could have been more. And not to use him as a whipping boy, I I would not do that. But you know if that had been Ben, the most recent Ben, the recent iteration we saw, Ben, there would have been three, four sacks. But overall, the offensive line, pass protected well. Run blocking, not at at all. You can't have your wide receiver, Chase Claypool, be your leading rusher. And while I would never minimize the injury to Najee Harris, he means so much in so many different areas. If the offensive line is going to block like that on running plays, They could have me running the ball 
I'd be dead after one play, but <laughs> they could have me running the football. They've got to get better. But as Tomlin said, they're hopeful that as they go along, they will be. We'll find out. Work in progress. Classic illustration. I know everybody wants to talk about Mitch Trubisky. I don't think he had a good game. I don't think it was a bad game. I don't think it was a terrible game. And I could recite the stats that Trubisky had, but there's one stat in particular that won the game. Just one. No interceptions. No interceptions. I dare say that had Mitch Trubisky thrown an interception or two, they would have lost that game. Now, you want more than a game manager for sure. And Trubisky, as I say, did not have a good game. His placement was off. Even on the passes that he completed, they were a little high, a little outside, a little low. But that can be corrected. I think the people who were clamoring for Kenny Pickett were going to do that no matter what. My guess is Sunday against the Patriots, the first pass that's incomplete, or worse yet, if there is an interception, that's going to start up all over again. It even started after a win. And that's not to suggest that Trubisky had a terrific game. I don't believe that he did. But I also know that his mobility kept them out of big trouble, that his lack of interceptions was absolutely a, a critical component of winning that game. And let's not forget that he drove him on two field goal drives that helped win the game, certainly the last one, driving the ball from his own 20 to the Bengal 35, which ended up setting up Chris Boswell for the game-winning field goal as time expired in the overtime. The Matt Canada offense of 2022 looked an awful lot like the Matt Canada offense of 2021. Way too horizontal, nothing downfield. Pat Fryermuth had a big game. That's great. George Pickens was barely noticeable. Three targets, one catch for three yards. We know he's better than that. Was he not getting open? Did Trubisky not see him? He did overthrow him on one ball deep down the sideline. But they've got to get more vertical in their offense, and I don't mean bombs downfield. Just the intermediate routes, 10, 12, 15. Back those linebackers off. Keep those safeties back where they belong. That, in turn, would help the running game. We're going to hear from Charlie Batch in just a minute, but Charlie's been preaching as a former NFL quarterback, played in the league for a decade and a half. With Matt Canada's offense, if you don't have play action working for you, then you don't have an offense. And to do that, you've got to back the defenders off, and thus you've got to run the football to make play action work. 
Defensively, what more could you ask? Just a brilliant performance. And we know about T.J. Watt. We know about Cam Hayward. We know about Minka Fitzpatrick. But what we didn't know about necessarily, inside linebacking. I thought the signing of Miles Jack was a great signing. He certainly played that way. Ten tackles, although you don't always judge linebackers merely or solely on tackles. And that leads me to Devin Bush. I thought Devin Bush played the best game I've seen him play since his rookie year. Noticeably and significantly better than at any point last year. And if his knee is sound and he can cover tight ends like he did on Sunday, that's a big question answered. The question we won't have answered is how will they do without T.J. Watt? That's out of our hands. It's in the hands of the medical people. But for right now, they got to win when most people thought they'd be 0-1. Charlie Batch, longtime Steeler quarterback, my partner on the Steelers postgame show. We welcome Charlie Batch in right now on the Savern on Steelers podcast. And Charlie, have you ever seen, or put it this way, have you ever participated in a crazy, wild game like that in your entire career? <laughs> crazy. Man, I think the only thing that I can really come close to is probably that maybe the 2002 home game against the Atlanta Falcons when that game ended in a 34-30 tie, 34-34 tie with Plexico Burrs catching the ball on a last Hail Mary effort at the one-yard line, and the game ended in a, in a tie. That's probably the only thing I can compare it to. Yeah, I remember Michael Vick went, went wild that day. Um, playing for Atlanta, and uh, that was on that field that was like playing in a sandbox. That was, you know, so part of the original <laughs> turf was was not very good, uh, very good turf. Um, let's let's start out, and of course we experienced this together uh, on the post game show. Uh, and I think that a lot of people's angst is when you have a defense playing as brilliantly as that defense did. You wouldn't think you would have to go to the last second of overtime to win the game, which then puts the horse collar, if you will, on the offense. Yeah, that's that's something that really, when you see turnovers in that manner, the time of possession should be favor should be swaying your favor as well as points. And unfortunately, that didn't happen yesterday. But man, it's just been a crazy part. But I'm just happy that the defense is able to create the turnovers in the manner that they have been creating sacks. Something that they have not been able to do it over the last few years. From an offensive standpoint, um, Mike Tomlin said that the offensive line, uh, it was going to take some time. Now that you've had 24 hours or so to think about it, was the offensive line even worse than you imagined would be, or were they slightly better? Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't know what you think, and this is natural, you know. But I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, 
But I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. To me, it was the same. I mean, there was questions obviously coming into this season as it relates to what they were going to do up front. They didn't show me anything even after watching the film that, okay, they're taking the next step in that right direction. I mean, they couldn't get any push on the ball. Um, from the running game, and it's something that and, – and, and in fairness to the offensive line, I know it, uh, Mr. Bisky was running around a couple times, but some of that was his fault because he was creating that pressure even though he did have the time uh, that the line was providing him. So I still – really right now I still have a question mark as we now enter into week two. All right, let's uh, follow up with that. Uh, now that you've had a chance to look at it and think about it and digest it, um, naturally if the offense doesn't do well – then the quarterback takes most of the blame, whether it's deserved or or not. Um, having time to think about it, uh, how do you now evaluate Mitch Trubisky's performance overall? Yeah, it was a winning performance. I mean, he did nothing to put you know that offense in a bind. It was nothing. He really tried to force down the field. He was trying to make a play in the overtime by trying to force it to fire fire move there. But outside of that particular throw, nothing. Nothing said, okay, he's now doing something that's not going to prevent this offense from moving forward. So I think that's something, at least that's a good sign. And I love uh, Mike Tomlin's response when he said Mitch didn't blink. By making that comment, it was only because when he needed to make a play in that overtime, he actually made a play. Because if you go back, and the play won't get talked about enough, but that scramble play when they actually, uh, Cincinnati jumped off sides, and he was able to make a guy miss, roll to the left, and throw across his body to fire move. That was a huge play on that drive. Yeah, he met. Uh, I was just watching it this morning. Uh, two of miraculous escapes, really. And I and I think that you, you hit on a key point that no one brought out is that he threw uh, while running to his left, which for a right-handed quarterback, I have to tell you, it's a difficult throw. It's a, it's a heck of a throw. I mean, you see, you know, the quarterbacks try out all the time, but in that particular case, I, outside of the penalty, I, I don't think Mitch tries to make that throw. But I really knew he realized at that point he had a free play. So regardless of what happened interception, turnover, something like that, that he was, he could force the ball down the field. Luckily, he was in the Steelers' favor in that, that situation. Charlie, did he miss guys uh, in watching the game tape, which gives you sort of an all-22 look? Did he miss guys, or were guys just not open? No, guys weren't. It was a combination. Well, I wouldn't even say he missed a bunch of guys. It's, 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 it's the candidate offense. I mean, they're running short of the sticks. A lot of guys right now, they're, they're playing that. And it's really what you saw on Sunday was no different than what we saw with Ben Roethlisberger at the helm last year. You don't see a lot of creativity in that offense, and they're not pushing the football down the field. And if you go back and look just at the passing charts, there's not many. Again, the middle of the field is wide open. So that's something that they're going to have to address if they want defense to respect this offense. Well, let's look at the Matt Canada offense. Um, is that you're right? I mean, last year – they didn't even have to mow the grass because no one ran on the middle of the field um, when the Steelers had the ball. Um, is that the Matt Canada offense, or um, is it just a matter of the plays that they're calling and the routes that they're running? 
Well, I think it is the plays that they're calling. And I think right now, you know, even last year, you know, even his offseason, we were talking about, oh, well, maybe he doesn't have the pieces to run his offense. Well, he has the pieces. But at the same time, we're still seeing the same things that we saw last year. That's going to have to change because even if you just look at what the rushing game is going, you know, the, 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 the yards weren't there in a manner for Najee Harris. And if you look in Chase Claypool, he was the second rush, leading rusher in this game. Those jet sweeps are going to disappear because teams are going to now start paying attention to that and saying, you want to know what? We're not giving you that and giving you those cheap yards. You're going to have to earn. You're going to have to decide to line up and say you're now going to out-physical somebody up front. With that being said, if you're not able to run the ball, there's no play action. And Matt Canada's offense has to be play action. And right now they're not off to a good start with that. No doubt. Um, Did it appear to you that the Bengals' defense played the Steelers exactly like teams did last year? You know, crowding backers and and defensive backs up into the box saying, you can't run the ball. Um, You know, we dare you to try. Uh, Was it pretty much the same way they defended the Steelers last year? Because the offense sure looked a lot, as you say, like last year's. Absolutely. You can see the Bengals and they're baiting the Steelers to say, we dare you to throw the football deep. And any time he's a quarterback, you realize it's a 50-50 ball when you throw a deep deep pass. And that's what the Bengals were daring the Steelers to do. It wasn't working. It wasn't able to connect it. I thought George Pickens may have that opportunity knowing that the Bengals were going to have one-on-one on the outside. That didn't materialize. And when you look to see what Deontay Johnson did in that overtime, in that catch that he made, oh, my gosh, that was unbelievable for him to keep his feet in bounds. Those are the type of plays that are going to have to be made to loosen up these defense. Because with that being said, if you're not able to make those plays, this offense is going to be stagnant. And you better believe Bill Belichick right now is studying what they did last year and realizing it's not much different. Yeah. So now we're going to prepare for week two in the manner that we're seeing these defenses face. So the Steelers are going to have to prove that early in this uh, this upcoming game. Aside from the one deep ball they attempted to Pickens, which was thrown out of bounds, um, what about the intermediate routes, Charlie, 10, 12, 15? Yeah, they don't throw that again. I don't throw that over the middle. So nobody respecting that. You're not seeing slam pass. You're not seeing those deep dig routes that you're seeing. So the 10 to 15 yard, that's something that's just not in this Steelers offense. It may be in the offense. They're not just putting that in. They're not doing it in stadium. So those are things that literally you have, even if you don't complete it, you at least have to show that you're now attempting to throw the football down the field. And if you don't, defenses aren't going to be honest. And you better believe that they're going to now dare you to run the football because you struggled last year and you're now off to a bad start. And then now we don't know what Najee Harris's status is at this point, but now you have an undrafted, unproven rookie in Jalen Warren. He possibly will get the start this week. Hasn't shown much on tape, so they're now going to say, okay, let's see if you can run the football, and that's the Belichick defense. Well, that brings up a great point, and that is uh, this, of course, is not meant to disrespect Najee. He's far and away their number one back. But given the way the offensive line does not block well on the run, does it really matter who the running back is? Well, at this point, it doesn't matter. And I said, but the only it doesn't matter from the running perspective, but it does matter for the passing perspective because there was a play in there that literally late in the game that uh, Mitch went to drop back and he had to get rid of it early because there was pressure. That was Jalen Warren's guy, so he didn't identify blitz pickup. So that's going to be something that he has to work on to make sure that okay, if you're in that game you better be able to identify and understand what your pass protections are. That's a great point. Um, switching over to the defense, um, people were certainly concerned about the run defense, worst in the NFL. 
Yesterday, Joe Mixon did gain 82 yards. Sunday gained 82 yards, but three yards per carry. So uh, are you satisfied with the and, – and Burrow got some yards scrambling, but that's off a of pass action. Are you satisfied that at least that was a step in the right direction in terms of defense against the run? Yeah, that definitely was a step in the right direction. I mean, obviously that was unprecedented last year of everything that we've heard um, or we saw with that run defense. So they really did a good job up front. They took that too hard and they made plays. Now, can I continue without T.J. Watt in here? I don't know. But either way, it's off to a good start. But right now, with the bar is set. And I know they had 33 attempts last night, and they're trying to get Joe Mixon going and those type of things. But right now, that's not – that, I can live with that formula right there if you're attempting 33 times and you're barely getting 80 yards. You know, we think about T.J. Watt and we, you know, we don't know. And it's gonna, there's going to be some uh, games that he's going to miss, just a matter of how many. But one thing I th- don't think we talk about enough, he had one tackle for loss that wasn't a sack. I mean, he almost took the handoff from Joe Pro. That's how quickly he was in there. <laughs> um, if you remember the play I'm talking about, it was a four-yard loss. How good is T.J. Watt against the, the rush uh, uh, not the pass rush, but against a rushing team, how does he defend the edge uh, as a linebacker has to against the run? Yeah, he's solid. I mean, he's one of those rare guys that can do it all. And, you know, sometimes when you have a pass rusher, you're like, okay, there's some limitations. And, of course, you can maybe run at him and not allow him his speed to run away from him. But TJ has it all, and that's why he is a big factor in this particular defense. He worked hard to make sure that he was able to be stout against the run and not be one-dimensional. That's why he, people respect him around the league. And that's why you saw the reaction coming out of that locker room yesterday. They're like, oh, you know, sad faces, broken hearts, because they know how important he is, not to the defense, but this team. So, it's, you know, all the next 24 hours, we're all sitting here wondering what the heck is going on, and I better believe that we're all going to be glued in tomorrow for Mike Tomlin's press conference. Yeah, undoubtedly. The defense overall, I made a notation. I wanted your thoughts. I saw some blitzes, some configurations um, that I'd not seen before. Um, did you notice the same thing? And is that the result? There's a new defensive coordinator, even though Terrell Austin has been around, Brian Flores, first year. Um, do you get the sense that there were some different blitzes coming from different angles, different defenses? Oh, absolutely there was. And this is something that's been going on all training camp. These guys have been working on different coverages. So you better believe, yeah, now that Terrell Austin is calling, making those defensive calls, there is an influence right there with Brian Flores. But I love what Austin is bringing to the table. And no matter how much experience you have, and Joe Burrow at a young age, yes, he's had Super Bowl experience, you can always confuse a young guy. And that's exactly what Terrell Austin did yesterday. You can see it from the beginning of the game. Obviously, you had Cam on his first sack, but the first pass attempt, that ball through your inner pick six the other way. That lets you know things are gelling in the back end and not allowed that pass rush to get going. So I, I'm very pleased with what Terrell Austin is bringing to the table right now. All right, because you mentioned that, and we'll close it out with this. You know, you talked about Joe Burrow. As accomplished as he is, he's still a young guy. Um, the fact that Mitch Trubisky had been there and done that with the Bears – do you think that played a factor in the final field goal drive? Just uh, you've you've had to run two minute drills, one minute drills to try to avoid losing a game. Um, how valuable is that experience? How valuable is that when the other ten in the huddle believe a hundred percent in their quarterback? Ah, it's huge. And you know, one thing is one thing to have experience, but that experience didn't come as a member of the Steelers. 
So nobody here realized, okay, yeah, we've seen him get it done on a consistent basis. But for him to go out here, first opportunity to win a game in a two-minute drill, that speaks volumes, and that allows Mike Tomlin to now say, hey, all you new guys, this is what winning feels like. This is why we're giving you the game ball. And now that Mitch put it together in a two-minute drill, disregard what happened. I'm only talking about the two-minute drill. When he gets in that particular situation, regardless if at the end of the half or the end of the game, we're expecting the exact same thing. Mitch moving the ball down the field and putting the team and putting points on the board. So that allows him to continue and continue that confidence and ultimately building off of that. So really, I like what I see with Mitch. And again, our thanks to Charlie for being on the Savernon Steelers podcast. A couple of things I wanted to mention to you. Of course, Charlie and I do the post-game show on the Steelers radio network after every game. Of course, we'll be on as soon as the Patriots-Steelers game is over on Sunday. And after each and every game throughout this entire 2022 season, uh, I also invite you to listen to my weekday show, noon to 2 on ESPN Pittsburgh. That's AM 970. But you can also... Get it on the iHeart app. Get it very clearly and from all over wherever you happen to be. That's every weekday afternoon from noon until 2 Eastern time. And the Savernon Steelers podcast twice per week. We hope you enjoy the content. If you do enjoy it, by all means, tell your friends and fellow Steeler fans all across the nation. That's it for this time. I'm Stan Savern. Thanks for being with us on the Savernon Steelers podcast. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.